you are hearing this, you are receiving a signal from another planet. Fanboy planet. Watch animated chicks with inflatable breasts. You might be a Trekkie. Sit back and watch as the Uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch. Turn to the left to F in your dictionary. And add this word to your vocabulary. Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy. Damn it, Jim, I'm not a doctor. I'm just the definition of a fanboy, baby. I'm a nerd overdrive. I will always survive. That still sets up the suspense that they don't even know. Like they could be the thing and not even know that they're the thing. That's that's frightening. You know, that's a that's a feeling of helplessness. And I agree, the thing from another world is interesting, but it, it, it didn't. You know, it, that terror didn't scare me um, because by that time it was so quaint. Actually, I think I saw Carpenter's first, um, but you know. I, so, so I don't mind that. I kind of like they say the body horror, and that's okay. It's just like don't. I, I'm saying don't offer up a psychological explanation after you've already dismissed the psychological explanation. You know, like yeah, like yeah, yeah. Build it up and tell me. You know, well, there. It just sounds but, like a script that was being done by multiple people, and they weren't having oh, conversations. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I hadn't even noticed they even actually they have a visual reference to um, the last one. To the Brendan Fraser series, really? And yeah, huh. I, I totally, I totally missed it. Then saw it was, and I said, "Oh yeah, the you know the book that they were using um, to defeat Imhotep is in the Prodigium headquarters." So they're implying that all that did happen, you know, could because it's all a shared universe, right? Uh, <laughs> sure, it is. <laughs> so let's uh, let's roll in, shall we? This is Derek McCaw, editor in chief of FanboyPlanet.com, and we are podcasting on June twenty first, two thousand seventeen. And uh, of course, across over the well, it's not even the wires, the wireless over the internet, because we are podcasting virtually. through the tubes. Is there a tube involved? It's All the right. inner tubes. Anyway, there at the Brett Cave, Rick Brett Snyder. There we go, podcast producer extraordinaire. Thank you so much uh, for making this happen. We've got some comics news. We've got some movie news. We've got some TV news. And it's all very, very geeky, I feel, today. The top story, uh, before we get to it, is actually a, a movie news thing. Because this has really rocked. Like, again, I'm not sure how your Facebook feed looks. But when I get, like, 12 posts in a row <laughs> about how stunning uh, this news is, uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, uh, or did I get it the other way around? Um, uh, oh, I got it right. Uh, Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, who had been the creative uh, minds behind 21 Jump Street and the Lego movie, and uh, like two years ago were hired to create the young Han Solo, to direct the young Han Solo spin-off film for, for Star Wars, were um, let go for creative, let's put heavy, heavy quotation marks, creative differences yesterday was announced by Lucasfilm. Um, this kind of thing does happen from time to time. Creative differences? I, creative not, differences? Not just as a code word? Not just as a I mean, well, okay, it could, in, in both ways. Uh, the interesting thing is it's not the first time that it has happened to them because they left the Flash film for uh, creative differences uh, and then landed on their feet on the Han Solo. They wrote the uh, first draft of the screenplay 
for the Flash movie that has not yet been made or has a director of its own. We'll get back to that. Uh, the Though it happens from time to time, the interesting thing is that it usually doesn't happen four months into actual filming. Yeah. So they It doesn't happen have... unless things are really <laughs> creatively different. <laughs> yeah, but I'm saying, you know, this is apparently they had like three weeks of regular shoots and then they were scheduled for the usual. Again, we've talked about this before, too. They always build into the schedule reshoot time because once they've seen it, edited it, and they go, well, we could make this stronger, this better. Um, you know, reshoots are normal, but they still had three weeks left of, of regular shoots and then, you know, had scheduled reshoots and they're let go. Um, they, I think, let a, a noble statement out, you know, and said this is really a case of creative differences. And, and at, throughout the evening, uh, more details were breaking. Like, this is the most important thing going on in the world. Uh, but uh, that uh, it was uh, indeed Kathleen Kennedy, who's the head of Lucasfilm, who succeeded George Lucas, uh, had, had actually fired them. Uh, and this was the creative difference, that they were, um, they were tempted, they have more of an improvisational style on set, they direct, they've got the script, and it's more of a template, and they want to find the moments, and so it's a little, uh, little more uh, loose uh, than, than Lucasfilm likes to shoot. Um, and also then, then Lawrence Kasdan likes, likes to have shot, because he is uh, writing the, he wrote the script with his son, uh, who, John Kasdan, um, and we talked to Lawrence Kasdan about that a couple of years ago at Cinequest. And so this is still scheduled uh, to be released in 2018. Um, but uh, Kasdan was apparently very unhappy that they were not just sticking to his script, uh, the script of him and his son. And so Kathleen Kennedy thought that somehow this would all, was all going to coalesce and resolve itself. And it, I guess, never did. The irony being now that uh, guess who's in the running to direct the Flash? No, what? Who? Yes. So now Phil Lord and Christopher Miller are <laughs> apparently being looked at by Warner Brothers to direct the Flash and go back to the screenplay that Warner Brothers initially rejected. Well, hopefully they can <laughs> make sure that their creative juices are aligned. <laughs> Well, you know, the other thing is is that now, because what's changed with, with Warner Brothers and the DC Extended Universe, is that they're going for a lighter tone Yeah. when one of the reasons that it's assumed that their script for The Flash was ultimately discarded it was because it enough. had a lighter tone. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah. Um, so, it, they could, again, land on their feet, and those feet could be running at super speed, but it does... Uh, leave us wondering like you know what's going to what's going to happen with this with this production um you know okay so I, i'm seeing like the hollywood reporter saying they were blindsided they didn't know this was going to happen um and so uh, there had been been conflict but and they had gone on a short hiatus to kind of clear the air but uh one of the things is that they were making han solo a kind of uh a comedic character instead of sort of the rogue. Um, you know, one of the reasons Kasdan had been brought in for this one was because, of course, he really had done the most to work with Harrison Ford to shape who Han Solo was. Um, 
And this is one of those things that makes me wonder about even going back in time. I mean, it's happening. It's going to happen whether we want it or not. But a, a, but a young Han Solo is, you know, I, I think that the thing is the Han Solo we all love, that was a character arc. He developed into that guy that we all love. And so from hindsight, right. we all we right. think that's who he was all the way through. But the Han Solo from the beginning was kind of a jerk. You know, and, He was a scoundrel. He was a scoundrel. And it's his redemption redemptive moment at the end of uh, of a new hope of coming back and and realizing there's something bigger than himself so that's the character we love i don't think a younger version of him is going to be you know you can't go through that arc and reset so he has to be kind of roguish and that's why you bring in somebody like woody harrelson as his mentor who could mentor figure who could be uh who can play very easily kind of, you know why he's a jerk, but you can't help but, but like watching Woody Harrelson on screen. Right. Uh, you know, so it, it is interesting. Now the rumor, the question is who's going to step in and finish this film. Um, the names around is there's the suggestion that maybe Lawrence Kasdan will step in and finish this up. And he certainly got the directing chops, having done Silverado, The Big Chill, Grand Canyon. Um, did he direct Body Heat? I can't remember that. That if he had directed that one, I don't remember. First, but um, no. It, it, to me, I was thinking about this is kind of like based on our conversation with him a couple of years ago, and thinking, you know, I, I know that coming on to this project was very personal for him, collaborating with his son. Body Heat um, was written and directed by Lawrence Kasdan. Yeah, okay, there we go. And, you know, that he collaborated with The Sun, and that um, we also, I think, uh, perhaps me, I more than, than you experienced that he can get a little prickly. Um, <laughs> or around just, some people. Yeah, yeah, so... <laughs> After you, after his pay, after he's gone through a lot of interviews, uh, very friendly in the morning. Um, so, you know, but the other interesting thing is uh, that, of course, this isn't the first time that someone has been fired off of Star Wars uh, since Kennedy took over. Uh, you know, that uh, was that guy, Josh Trank, was taken off of Episode Eight. Um, Although they're clearly, you know, the thing is, it's like, how do, you, how do you pinpoint whose fault that is? You know, Trank was, was very difficult. Uh, it's never the studio's fault. Never, never. Um, and, uh, you know, Rogue One was directed by Gareth Edwards, but they, they know that, that we know that Tony Gilroy, the guy who had done Michael Clayton, had come in and rewrote a lot of the script and directed the reshoots. So, which is why the first trailer we saw for Rogue One has a whole bunch of scenes that look very different than what we saw in the film for Rogue One, which which does often happen. But you know, there have been many hands in the in the films that have worked uh, so far. Other two names up there to possibly be replacing Lord and Miller are Ron Howard, which would be interesting. Yeah. Because I think he's one of those directors that I don't think that I would necessarily say, "Oh, there's a set Ron Howard style," but I other than like many typically of his films. quality. I mean, well, I mean, yeah, that's it. I mean, it's like one of the old school directors from the '40s and '50s. You know, that 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 they're good. 
yeah. the material tends to be. I mean, I'm sure, sure there are a few that, that people that haven't responded to, but but overall, he's got a pretty good track record. Obviously, uh, he's very powerful in Hollywood. Um, but like I said, I, I don't think there's like a, there's there's a strong fingerprint to a Ron Howard film other than you enjoyed the movie. Yeah. So um, the other name being bandied around is Joe Johnston, who directed uh, The Rocketeer and Captain America, the first Avenger. And I really like that if they were, if they wanted to have kind of a style to it, and there's a, a rumor that that's too, they wanted like a controlled kind of heist film since he, even though it's taking place over, I guess, allegedly, the rumor is, that the plot takes place over six years of young Han Solo's life, but um, that they want to have kind of that light tone um, and fun, but it is with a scoundrel, right? So again, on the surface, Lord and Miller would have made sense, except that they're very, they've been very satirical in everything they've done. It's 21 Jump Street, Lego Movie, both really fun films. I, I enjoyed them, but they were also very self-referential, and I don't think you, can, you really get away with that in Star Wars if that's what they were uh, attempting to do. You know, yeah. I don't know, but uh, we shall see. This is uh, a story that is unfolding even as we speak. Uh, and by the time this podcast is posted, uh, it may have it may have resolved into some completely new story. Um, we'll, we'll see. But we're here now, trying to report as we can in the minute. So. Let's uh, let's get to comics, shall we? Which is uh, a couple of things here, because um, it's not the only controversy with replacements and so forth um, with with Star Wars. I'm going to talk about Wonder Woman uh, in comics because um, we know uh, Greg Rucka just finished a 25 issue plus, I think, a special uh, run on Wonder Woman as part of Rebirth. And that's a long run these days. I mean, that's a really long run. Well, even more so when you think, when you realize that was two books a month, Mm -hmm. he achieved that 25 in one year. That was a very heavy, uh, you know, and, uh, and I think the book, what I'm hearing, what is the, it's not diamond book scan. Um, there's a sales reporting of, of, of books in general. Um, not the New York times bestseller, but, uh, Book scan it kind of like tracks bookstores and so forth, not not comic book stores. And two of the top selling books right now in graphic novels are Wonder Woman Rebirth Volume One and and Volume Two, which is the the, the origin, the alternating back and forth between the, I guess modern day, um, you know, uh, story with Cheetah, and then the flashback that's retelling retelling Wonder Woman's origin, trying to make sense of all the confusing and contradictory things that have been there. And um, so, the as, as a book, as a, as a character in comics, Wonder Woman's profile really hasn't been this high in a long, long time. Although, when we say it's still relative when you compare to like what comics were selling in the '80s, say when George Perez took, you know, relaunched Wonder Woman after Crisis. Um, but. Uh, Anyway, there, Greg Rucka's run comes to an end. Shay Fontana, who is uh, the kind of the mastermind behind DC Superhero Girls, uh, is doing a five-issue run uh, to fill in with uh, the artist Mirka Andolfo. A very cool choice, interesting, and one of the very few 
Um, you know, really, you still can count on one hand how many women have written Wonder Woman. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, saying yeah, but I mean, well, no, I it's mean, true yeah, uh, because it's I true. can't tell you how many newscasts I saw last week uh, talking. Everybody's falling all over themselves to interview Trina Robbins because she was the first woman to write Wonder Woman. Right. And that I, was in the 80s. It's it's okay to focus on this because Wonder Woman is hot now. I mean, the the property is hot. and But just the underrepresentation of women in general in the uh, in the industry is is still very significant. Yes, Until you absolutely. Get in, you but to, my you point to, is when, when you talk about the, the highest profile, the, met, the best known female superhero, and it's still Trina Robbins, Gail Simone, uh, oh, I'm terrible that I cannot remember the novelist who, uh, the name of the novelist who wrote six issues, uh, and then there, uh, oh yeah, Jill, Jill Thompson, I think, did, did a graphic novel, and then there was the Legend of Wonder Woman online series that uh, digital series that was going on, and I'm sorry to listeners that I'm blanking on that writer's name. Uh, you know, Nicola Scott was the first woman to to draw Wonder Woman. Again, oh, no, sorry, I say second. Uh, she was the first to have the regular the regular book because Trina Robbins wrote and drew her uh, her book in the eighties. Uh, her own it was like a, a, a miniseries. Um, and, and again, I'd say yes. There's an underrepresentation of, of women artists in the industry as well. Uh, but after they're doing this five issue, the big splash was that uh, James Robinson, who of course. You know, I love I, I love his work. Uh, is taking over in September with Carlo Pagulian and Emanuela Lupacino uh, uh, on art, um, and it's getting heat. And when I saw the announcement, I'm like, oh, this is really cool. I love James Robinson's work. Except, yeah, this is going to get a lot of blowback from people who really, you know, I'm going to be honest. They're just coming to Wonder Woman because the movie's good. And because I'm seeing that online of like, oh, you know, I want to read Wonder Woman and here's why are all these men writing him? Yeah. And and so high profile, the announcement, which I think is probably misrepresentative of what's actually going to happen in the story, seem makes it seem like the focus is this character, Jason, who was the one male born on Themyscira. It was a, it's a dangling plot thread from the Dark Side War. Uh, it was mentioned. Uh, it seemed like it was going to be a big deal. Jeff Johns didn't resolve it. He was planting seeds for someone else to do something in rebirth. They never got around to it. So I think part of this is like, yeah, you got to answer that plot thread, but it's unfortunate timing, and it comes back to the story. The story that Hollywood is telling is that Warner Brothers had no idea that Wonder Woman was going to do well. I've even seen headlines. They're saying DC uh, Warner Brothers has a problem. People actually like Wonder Woman, and <laughs> because of course it means they had to rethink everything about their films. Um, so it's just hitting at a high pro, uh, at bad timing that the headlines are looking at. Uh, that while all these people are, are flocking looking for Wonder Woman books to read the announcement from DC is that James Robinson uh, is going to be writing about Wonder Woman's brother in the regular book. Yeah. The, the author you were trying to think of, I think it was Jody Picoult? 
Yeah, thank you, thank you. Yes, yeah, it was just like, and it was intended to be just like a six issue run. Yeah, it's a, um, it collected as a graphic novel. Terry Dodson did the art in that. I I remember it being re- really cool. I just couldn't remember her name. Um, and you know, this is once again, it, it kind of brings back that DC has a history of being somewhat tone deaf about this kind of stuff, and and they're you know, and they are being reactive. I, I would hate to see James lose the work because uh because of blowback i don't think i don't think well he's responded very very politely uh because apparently someone tweeted at him and said shut down your twitter account hmm. so it you know it, it goes back to the um that, that's not james saying that it's someone attacking him saying that he should shut down his twitter account and, and it's again points to hey we've just come through this phase where we're all being aware of si- of of doxing and cyberbullying, and right. then the other side starts doing the same thing it's like uh can we just step back and try to engage reasonably yeah and uh he's just said you know you haven't read my scripts you um yes the press release uh does mention this character jason but you have no idea how i'm going to treat diana so please wait and and pass judgment after you've actually read it and which I think is reasonable. I say I, I'm I'm very much looking forward to his work, but I completely understand why people are, are coming into this, and they haven't and they haven't been reading comics, and they expect to see, you know, Wonder Woman has become theirs. And yeah, well, people are people are constantly looking for something to be upset about on the internet. You know, it's, uh, oh, I, I follow your Facebook feed. I see you upset all the time. I yes, am. it's true. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because we're all upset as a society. I don't think we even have to look. Just, just, I just go on to CNN, <laughs> and then, and I say, don't. You know, <laughs> whichever side of the aisle, of the aisle you're on, you know, look at CNN, and something's going to tick you off. Um, so let's get off of that and try to go. Well, this might tick people off too. Uh, <laughs> we, we we talked about Marvel having top selling titles. You know, the, the Star Wars books were doing really well despite everything else that Marvel was saying right. about their sales. And it was noted that last week Diamond reported that Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout was actually a surprisingly top-selling book, even though comic book stores weren't necessarily uh, reporting it. Did Disney just buy five years' worth for their well, stores? Well, this is what it occurred to me. Is, <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, someone, uh, they sent an intern uh, out and said, buy a bunch of comics. Well, Bleeding Cool noticed this about Guardians of the Galaxy, and uh, that that like all these copies are showing up on eBay with the di- exclusive Disney park cover. Mm-hmm. And then they dug through and, and which now makes me mad that I did not buy them uh, when I saw them. And I probably should go back and offer like elusive. Hey, do you want some of these? <laughs> you know? But um, that diamond did admit that yes, that, that Disney parks does have an account. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, that's what that's what's pushed the sales. Yeah, and I would think the same thing is probably true for, for Star Wars, Star Wars yeah. because the uh, Star Trader shop out of out, outside of Star Tours uh, has every every book, every Star Wars title. The difference, though, is that Mission Breakout is a one shot, and it won't, oh, yeah, won't yeah, change no, but month, I, month after month, so it's always going to. But I, I think, and, and and I know you're gonna you're gonna be down there in a, in, in a couple of weeks yeah. as, as well. Is that when you, when you see there are 
random Marvel titles available in the the gift shop's official title is the Collector's Vault. Um, that the uh, there are random Marvel books in the Collector's Vault, and they're individual comics, but there's only space for like eight. And so they rotated. There was I saw Captain, uh, Sam Wilson, Captain America. There was uh, one of the Black Widow books uh, because they're really pushing Black Widow uh, very, very heavily. That's I'll good. be I'll be honest. I, I don't like the wig they have on the uh, cast member who appears uh. as Black Widow. It, it, it just looks too funny. Um, but on, on the other side is where Mission Breakout is, and then there are some uh, there's some other Guardians of the Galaxy type related titles. I think they had Groot in there. And, and Rocket. I think Mission Breakout is the one that's going to sell the most. I just think it's interesting we always forget this kind of stuff just like how I think it was Rocket's first, uh, the first Rocket Raccoon solo book had this like huge, like 500,000 copies and it was because it was one of those loot crates. Oh yeah. And you know, yeah. the, 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 it, because Diamond is also not separating out the different covers. It's all just going in as one order. So, you know, it still, it still counts. It's just kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, it's sort of the behind the curtain stuff, but I, I love this as I see, you know, obviously we're here because we love comics and we want people to buy them and enjoy them. And I see so many articles and I realize from the moment I've understood comic journalism, I've been reading articles about how comics were on their way out. Um, and yet, you know, I would be fascinated to know how many people, not people trying to make money on eBay, but how many people are legitimately walking out of that ride and buying that comic because it's not a bad comic i mean i think we you and i both read that and read oh no the comic it was, book i thought it was good us. good book it was fun it was a really fun book i think it's interesting that uh jerry dugan in all new gardens galaxy is uh making the collector the the villain of the first arc so perfect synergy is fantastic so no matter what gardens galaxy book you buy on the stand right now you're gonna get yourself a little collector yeah. All right. So, what's in your bag? Because I cannot go to the comic book shop today. But what's in your bag? Well, uh, in my bag, I have mostly nostalgia. I think is where I I put it. Uh, this this week we have issue number one of Peter Parker: colon, The Spectacular Spider Man. Oh, I was looking forward to that. And yeah, and I it, I when I picked this up, I flashed on back in the seventies. <laughs> when that first issue came out. When that first issue came out, and I had really been looking forward to it. And I was trying to think, I think this was the first time a superhero book, in, in a standard uh, color superhero book, had multiple issues with the same character in it. I mean, multiple uh, titles with the same character in it. The, nope. Which one? Okay, no, 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 no. For Marvel, Action Comics. For Marvel. Oh, I, Marvel. Know, I, obviously, I went. I went. I said Superman and Action Comics, right? <laughs> but for Marvel, for no, Marvel and Batman and Detective Comics. No, but but, um, but for Marvel, which I think in years afterwards has abused the concept quite a bit. because um, well, the other thing to remember was for so long they were limited. They could only publish six titles a month until about 1970. Right, right. Well, this was uh, uh, Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man Volume 1 came out in 76. Yeah, no, so, I, rem- I remember it in the tarantula yeah. on the cover. And, yeah, uh, and I, I remember looking at it going, tarantula? Really? Uh, because he was such a weird character. I, he was kind of like Craven with spikes. Not Craven. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, not Craven, yeah, but... You know uh, what? 
Bat Rock. But what you could say, uh, I, I would, you know, they did always reprint uh, old Spider-Man in Marvel Tales. True. And True. so that had been supported. That was a good one. A good, and, and there was, uh, and that was where I got most of my Spider-Man history from because I didn't start Spider-Man yeah. until the issues that uh, were right about just about six issues before Gwen Stacy's death. Yeah, and there was a brief, um, there was a brief Fantastic Four reprint one too, wasn't there? Like it was a Marvel's it was like greatest a Marvel, tales or something. Yeah, I think I think that's. I think we were having this conversation the other evening. Um, but uh, yeah, but for brand new, for brand new, uh, I was terribly excited that I was going to get two Spider-Man, two new Spider-Man stories mm-hmm. a month. And then um, remember that that month that it was five, and then it was ten. Yes, yeah, right. Nine ninety nine an issue. Right. I'm tired. I am so a little tired. tired too. However, this is uh, Chip Zdarsky. Chip Zdarsky, I love him. And I Adam Kubert. Uh, and it's it looks pretty good. I mean, the the storyline. Looks like a return to you know Spider-Man in Manhattan. He's hanging out with the Human Torch, and uh, there's a backup story. And yeah, it's uh, it's a decent uh, it's a decent book. The first issue is four ninety nine. Um, I I'm this was a heavy month for me. I I I didn't count the number of books, but I spent easily 20 percent 20 25 percent more than i usually do on a on a weekly yeah, basis it, it's good to not say actual numbers otherwise it's yeah just, it's, it's just, just sad it's just sad yeah. so that was that was step one of nostalgia step two of nostalgia um actually started at ces this year because atari did a like 15 seconds of and you can't really tell if it's real or concept cgi but they're hinting that they're going to have um, an Atari. E. the game? No, an Atari box. They're going to get. A, they're going to go back in the console business. Um, and it hmm. and this console, the, the what you see of it, there's like you see this fine wood grain paneling, which was an earmark of the original twenty six hundred console. Right, right. You know that plastic, uh, plastic wood that they had on it. And oh, then, I had it. And then very slick uh, black uh, serrated looking edges and stuff. So. Um, that's that's kind of getting a little buzz right now. What could Atari do? You know, Nintendo did really some cool things with the Switch to make a console that could stand up against uh, the Xbox and the PlayStation without having to go head to head with them. The question is, what is what is Atari going to do to kind of get in this already saturated area? But if you just go nostalgia, this week Dynamite has released. Sword Quest, which is a throwback to the 1980s Atari 2600 console hit um, of Sword Quest, the cartridge game, which was followed by Earth Quest, Fire Quest, and Water Quest, all of which were part of a $150,000 prize package for discovering clues within the games and uh, and supposedly winning this. There were supposed to be four games. The fourth game, AirQuest, never came out because at about the mid-'80s, uh, personal computers and the the uh, uh, the, the, uh, the more, more PCs were coming out and consoles kind of were taking a dive. Um, and so they never came out with the fourth, fourth book. But why do you think, and I, th- you have, I think, you, I think you, you have the background here, why do you think this this is particularly exciting right now? 
Why do I think it's particularly exciting? Yeah. Sword Quest. Uh, is that the one that Greg Pak's writing? Uh, no. No. But and it has nothing to do with this actually being written by somebody right now. But you did you read Ready Player One? Yeah. So Sword Quest figures highly in Ready Player One. It's one of the games that... Uh, that he has to go back and solve, and he talks a lot about the uh, about the contest and that they never finished well, yeah, it. Yeah, the timing is really is really good. Yeah. Dynamite's been doing. Did they do the book of Atari art? Yes, last year. Yes. Um, you know, so is the other thing that young people young people are listening might not you know realize is that Atari the games were very primitive compared oh, yeah. to what we are used like, to now. Uh, very very primitive. Not even eight bit graphics. But the cover art was always so awesome. A little salacious at times, and you know it was it was. I don't care. It was yeah. just uh, point is they they there were these lush paintings that the games could not even hope oh, no. to live up to a only corner. In your, of. Only in your imagination could you ever <laughs> ever. Uh, the other thing about this this particular series was uh, the games came with a comic. And the comic was um, yes. uh, Roy Thomas and Gary Conway with George Perez and Dick Giordano. Um, and these books that are coming out have multiple covers, one of which is a uh, uh, George Perez, which reminds me, the, the way he's drawing the, um, the characters, the two main characters on this, really looks a lot like Jericho and... Um, uh, the the woman with Jericho. I mean, it's like this. Then that'd be the same p- time period where Perez was doing the whole uh, infinite Mashugana. Um, yes. So, so he was he was just drawing Mashugana. Mashugana. That uh, he was drawing. That's the right word. Sorry for any of our, our Yiddish speaking friends. We're try. Uh, um, he was also drawing Hawkeye in that same costume. You know, with mm-hmm. the skirt and the big boots and stuff. So, um, yeah, it was kind of like the <laughs> that was the uh, George Perez of the early '80s uh, with disco hair. Yes. So that kind of ends the nostalgia segment. I, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing if these are are any good as far as stories. But I think, you know, if you're looking for a collector's item, um, I was the only one. I think. Uh, well, let me put it this way. I pre-ordered this at Hijinks and told them that I wanted the Atari 2600 style cover, which I never, I never specify covers, but this look, looks just like the, the art uh, with the Atari 2600 at the top and the sword crest at the bottom. Um, there were none on the shelves, and JK didn't um, didn't know if they had ever gotten any on the shelves. So I think only people who asked for it got it. So this could be a this could be a underprinted uh, book that could eventually, with the tie-ins to Ready Player One uh, coming next year with the movie, uh, might be a collector value. So oh, I hate to be that kind of uh, kind of person, but okay. I mean, I, I don't think you're wrong. Okay, I just you know I I just want to make sure that people are buying because the story's good. Oh, I, I hope uh, so. I would like to see I would I would like to see uh, let's revive Atari Force. Um, 
the DC book that was. Oh yeah, uh, I like, like that. Trying to vaguely put all those sci-fi vague games they had together into one concept. Right. So right. And what's the third thing for the you? The third book is uh, you know I've really been enjoying a lot of Rebirth, but one title has ha- of late has been standing above all the others, and that's Batman. And this week we mm-hmm. get uh, Batman twenty five with the beginning of the war of jokes, and ri- the war of jokes and riddles, which is going to be Batman versus Riddler versus Joker. And I flipped through this which, already. Which uh, my son is so excited. For. It just looks it looks really awesome. Um, it's an ex- so, uh, it says extra sized anniversary issue, but it's only three ninety nine. Um, nice cover. Well, take a lesson, Marvel. There you go. So that's it for me this week. Uh, there was a lot of a lot of other books, but those are the ones that stood out. Well, I'm looking forward to spending a lot of money this weekend. Uh, so, <laughs> are you? Uh, but, well, I mean, you know, I got to pick up my. I, I'm not going to be able to pick up my books until I think Saturday. So, yeah, uh, yeah and, and I'll be taking my son to the store, which means I'll be sp- probably <laughs> buying a few more than I normally do. There but you we go. shall see. Or he'll or he'll look at me like Oliver Twist, holding up his bowl of porridge. Please, say, sir. I, no, he says, I will take what comics you give me, Father. Oh, my. And they uh, say, yeah, wow, this is good. Keep that acting skills up, son. Uh, so, let, speaking of acting skills, let's talk movies. Uh, and we'll, we'll go through. I, I think people should should be intrigued. Um, we had mentioned that Tom Thomas Hardy is joining the, is going to play Eddie Brock, Venom, in a solo Sony uh, which they're now calling the Sony Marvel Universe. Mm. I'm waiting for someone to tell them they have to stop calling it that. Yeah. Uh, I think it's okay to just say Spider-Verse, except then, you know, so people, they're still unsure as to where Spider-Man fits in the whole whole scheme of things. I, you could make Spider-Man movies that are related to Spider-Man without it having to touch the Marvel Universe, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and they can coexist without necessarily contradicting each other. I do believe that. Because uh, maybe it's time for expanded universes, shared universes, to sort of pull back a little bit and, and narrow their focus. But this is weird. It's certainly uh, time for Sony to back off a little bit. <laughs> this is weird. I mean, completely not unexpected is, although it seems premature, uh, Carnage is going to be the villain in the Venom movie. Which then says, of course, Venom isn't really the villain, but that's okay because there was that whole lethal protector time period, and then yeah. there was Agent Venom. Yeah. And Eddie Brock became the lethal protector at one point because he just got too popular to leave as a villain. So Carnage is going to be there, but along with that announcement, uh, it looks like Sony is considering doing solo films with Craven and Mysterio. So one, I want to say, let's just, like take a look at the Craven. Uh, is in a time when we absolutely hate, as is, there, there's a large portion of the nation um, that is repulsed by big game hunting. Yes. It, it is not the time to highlight, try to make a hero, although you can you can tell me, I've read now that the son of the original Craven is sort of good, and I've just never actually read a story with him. His daughter is, his daughter's a mixed bag. Um, I, uh, you know, if I read a story with the son, it didn't impress me. Yeah. Okay. So, well, maybe it's the daughter. This would be a good time to say that. You know, uh, maybe, maybe. But I, but also, even the name Craven, it, it's silly because it implies coward. 
Um, you know, and, and it was it was just sounded cool in the sixties when Stan Lee and Steve Ditko created him. But it's time to let that one go. Mysterio is an interesting character. I would love to see Mysterio on film. I don't think that I want to see Mysterio as a solo character solving crimes, fighting crime, or causing crime. He needs to go up against Spider-Man. You know, that's, uh, I just don't, I don't get the spinning the villains off into their own movies. You know, I, so, except that's all that Sony thinks they have. You know, even Black Cat is a mixed bag. I guess that's the problem with, with the, with, with Marvel. So many, uh, so many characters that people think are cool are kind of ambiguous in their morality alignment, shall we say. Um, they suffer from a- AMA, ambiguous morality alignment. I'm trying to trademark that right now on the spot. Um, so so it's just kind of, uh, ah, I don't know. It's going to happen. Uh, what else is going to happen is Fox is not going to let go of Fantastic Four. And they have, there's a rumor, so we're not getting a cease and desist. This is strictly a, a rumor that's making its way around. Reported as such. Uh, reported as such that their new take is that they're going to focus on Franklin and Valeria. Uh, is that the daughter's name? Yes. Um, focus on the children and, and have the original fantastic four be more mentor figures. I don't think it's a great idea, but I don't think it's the worst idea they've had. <laughs> That's <laughs> <laughs> okay, because we saw the oh. first idea they had. No, we didn't. They weren't oh. able to make that one. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, they lied to me. Um, they, they tried to scare me and lied. Oh. Um, <laughs> so, uh, it was, yeah, fake movie news. So, um, I it could be interesting, because uh, I think Franklin has... You could almost make a Fantastic Four movie that's closer to maybe what Josh Trank was trying to do, like a horror film when you've got this little kid who can alter reality. I think you have to do them as Franklin and Valeria because they work well together. She's not as powerful as him, but she's so much smarter than he is. And he's just so incredibly powerful, but a little bit uh, easily led. So I think that works for me. It's a take... Yeah, it's a take that none of the Marvel movies have shown us. No, no, not at all. And, and, and taking it away from even being Fantastic Four, it's something that these superhero movies have not explored. What is it? What do you do when these kids have powers that are way out of whack? Yeah, with who they are and what their maturity level is. And I'd love it. And, I'd love it if they brought in a, a, the complexity of Valeria is 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 missed by a lot of people. The fact that she, I mean. The, the Victor Von Doom connection to her and her interplay with with uh, with Doom is uh, brilliant. Yeah, uh, that would be wonderful. And, and this almost gives it gives this a vibe of The Incredibles. And you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I'll be honest. You know, Car Car D'Angelo uh, you know, was mock outraged at me. Uh, and I mean, Carr, if you're listening, I, I hope it was only mock when <laughs> he said, like, you know, wouldn't the movie rights, wouldn't Marvel still have the animation rights and couldn't then Disney just make a Fantastic Four uh, animated film? And I said they did. It was called The Incredibles. And he's like, I knew someone was going to do that. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> you know, I, 
Fox taking a take that is more, if you're going to say that the Fantastic Four are about family, you know, um, we, you know, we did not respond to the young adult Fantastic Four. Um, and the previous two, the Tim Story films, which were, I still maintain good kids movies. Um, they were still, they just didn't strike the tone that anybody was really super satisfied with. No. So maybe by focusing on the kids, it's different uh, for live action because, yeah, I can't throw away. The Incredibles you know is there. You know what? We're basing this on them following the comic. Their own rumors? No, we're basing <laughs> we're basing the potential for this on, on them following the canon of the stories. I know. Not screwing and here's it up what and gives just me making hope. it another... Lava, but here's lava, what shark girl and lava boy or whatever it was. Uh, the other way around, yeah. Uh, shark boy and lava. Why must you make me correct you on that? Because the, that's my Jonah Hex. Yeah. Um, well, I, yeah, I've, I've never seen it, so I don't. Know. Oh no! Oh, great. Well, the next time you make me angry, <laughs> I'm gonna. It's, it's gonna be like a Rick Rolling. This little, vi- literally, I guess, a uh, little video. Will look like no, you got to see this. Click <laughs> and then shark boy and lava girl. There and, you go. And after you're out of the hospital, I'll be uh, everything. Yes. Um, yeah, but the only thing that gives me hope is that, you know, we, we all thought that, but one movie happened last year that showed that that occasionally, not always, yes. and not often, yes. Fox is smart enough to get out of its out of the way of people whose vision actually fits what the continuity is, and that's Deadpool. Yeah. I still don't know how that happened. I don't either. And I, I, I don't guarantee... That Deadpool two is no going to be that. Here's same how magic. it happened: nobody expected anything from it, so none of the upper executives cared to comment. And then it was successful, and now they're all going to be all over it. Maybe, maybe, yeah, um, it, 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 it's possible. Uh, we shall see. Uh, so we'll see. The other thing that's also kind of, I think, uh, maybe blowing his wad a little too soon. Godzilla 2, which is now officially Godzilla King of the Monsters, uh, began filming this week. And they confirmed in the press release that Mothra, Rodan, and King Ghidra are all in it. So we were, you know, kind of segueing into the podcast by talking about the shared universe of, like, the mummy or the dark universe that Universal's doing. Right. And I think. It's interesting because by throwing all this in, uh, who's producing this? Warner Brothers. They're actually hedging their bets, maybe having learned from all the debacle of the DC Extended Universe, um, that they're they're hedging their bets and pulling this back down to three movies. King Kong, or Kong Skull Island, Godzilla King of the Monsters, and King Kong vs. Godzilla. Yeah. Instead of the six or seven that were initially announced. By saying this is like okay, let's get this, and then and then, this is the way to do a, an extended uh, and right. a, a shared universe right. is to go back to that initial franchise thing is idea, which is just just plan them one at a time, right, or two at a time if you have to call it the trilogy. Let's go back to that trilogy model, and I, I'm fine. I, I'm fine with that because I think one of the things that made Kong Skull Island work so well was. It just you know, it, it knew what we wanted instead of what the previous Godzilla did, which was let's let's focus on human characterization. Um, I, I have to apologize for this because I'm not going to be able to edit this out. But my gardener just got here; he's outside outside my den, uh, 
Oh, I working love that. On the and no, no worries. Okay. I'm going to rent, you know, we can go fast here. Um, so, uh, it's okay. It's ambiance. And, uh, <laughs> in, so there's that for movies, for television. I think the big story, no, I mean, well, there's two big stories, right? Ooh, Star Trek Discovery was announced to have an actual start date. Woo-hoo. Not a star date, a start date. About a year September late. 24th. Yeah, no, uh, over a year. No, late. it was supposed to be January. No, no, no it was well, supposed the, to be January. The one we believed was in January, yeah. two thousand seventeen. Yes, so yeah. it's six months late. Yeah, maybe. seven months late. I, I just don't want to exaggerate for them. Yes, they missed their deadlines. Yes, they've had some problems. They're claiming it's because they were building a world, and saying you know it's no other version has had that. But you know they also lost. Uh, a vision, which was they had Brian Fuller, and Brian Fuller left to you know delve into American Gods, and I'm sure there's a lot of pushback and studio interference, but uh, you know I'm sure that again someday there will be a really interesting to me book written about all this. But yes, um, yes. Hopefully someone's know, taking. I freely notes. admit that. What? Hopefully someone's taking notes on all this. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see, um, you know. But I'm still getting questions from people, which is uh, seriously today. You, you know, getting someone messaged me and said, "Well, you'll know this. It, it's like, is Star Trek Discovery going to be on television or online only?" And, it's, and again, to remind people, the pilot. This is they've learned from uh, their lucra- Paramount's lucrative uh, cocaine dealership. Uh, kidding? I'm kidding. Of course, sure. Uh, the first, the first sample is free. The first one is free which means that the pilot will be shown on CBS on September 24th. And then they will helpfully, I'm sure, have ads in every single commercial break that tell you to go onto CBS Interactive, uh, uh, not uh, All Access, that's what it's called, CBS All Access. Right. This is horrible. Uh, and to say, and sign up, and then you can have access to uh, Star Trek Discovery, uh, the Good Fight, like I had not even realized because I, I, I just watch live television so rarely and the main networks, you know, it, it's only comic book shows for me, but the sequel to The Good Wife television series is on CBS All Access already and only on CBS All Access. Oh, okay. they've, already, they've already made this model work, I guess, reasonably well that they feel like this is worth the gamble. I, you know, I, I don't know. Anybody listening who who was a fan of the good wife and i apologize i hope not to offend anyone by saying i I never watched the show um if you're watching the good fight you know tell me how how does this how does this work and do they and the other thing is do they have a good interface because i thought you know one of the things that killed yahoo when they did community on the sixth season of community was i could ended up i couldn't watch it until it went to hulu once they shut down, right. because right. It, it was too po- you know, hard to watch. So uh, write into editor at fanboyplanet.com and and let me know what you what do you think uh, from an interface perspective. Are you willing to pay for that that series? The thing that is frustrating is that's for the United States alone. If you live in Europe, it's on Netflix, so you're already paying for it. We don't know how much is gonna. Do we know how much it costs? Um, you know what. <laughs> Yeah, here, here is what I will suggest to you um, is if you go to fanboyplanet.com, I accepted an affiliation, even though I, I, I freely admit I'm not positive that I, I have high hopes 
I don't I don't know if I will get what I want. Um, and so you can go to Fanboy Planet, and there is uh, a fr you can click a link off to the right, and, and I've got the you know I've got the ad for Star Trek Discovery, um, and but I see when I click on it, it does not tell me how no. much. I'm looking it at it now. It doesn't say. It says try it free or watch trailer. I think it's five ninety nine a month. Okay. I think that's almost reasonable. And I pay six ninety nine for uh, for Crunchyroll. You know, a month. I pay five ninety nine for Shutter, and I've watched Shutter maybe twice. This is the horror film uh, yeah. one, just because I, I want to have that ready to go, and then I and then I subscribe, forgetting that of course I'm. Yeah, I don't like to watch horror films by myself, alone, in the dark, late at night, um, which is when I have time to watch horror films. But this is like, to me, BritBox, you know, if... And it, you're right, this is almost worth it. If I subscribe, then I already have Star Trek, the original series, on Blu-ray. Yeah. But I don't have any of the other series. Hmm. And as I've mentioned many times on, uh, on this, it, I was spotty on all the sequel series. So, and I've just recently been thinking, well, if I kind of skipped the first season of The Next Generation, which is what lost me, um, and went into the second season when people have told me it really got good, this would be my chance. And I always liked Deep Space Nine. It's just very spotty in watching that. So, if you do five ninety nine a month because you want to watch Discovery, and then you get access to everything else in Star Trek, not the movies, but you... Uh, but all the television series, all of the episodes, plus, uh, let's go, oh, good lord, I, I don't know how many of these I would watch, but uh, if I'm going to look at this and say, okay, all the Star Trek, well, the animated series is there as well. Yeah, that's The Twilight out. Zone is there. They just had a new release of the animated series. The original Twin Peaks is available if you're watching it on Showtime and want to catch up. Oh, okay, I'm going to go, uh, I'm probably lying to me about which series this is. Um, oh, the Brady Bunch. If there's anybody caring about the Brady Bunch, um, oh yeah, it's the wrong American Gothic. I got excited for a second. Oh yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's the recent one, not the not the really great creepy one with Gary Cole from the uh, from the '90s. But um, they've got, you know, I now that I'm looking at it, there's a lot that I think I would, I could probably see myself getting drawn into. Um, maybe not Candy Crush the game, but uh, <laughs> but a few other things. Uh, I'll be honest here. If I if, if my subscription, if this subscription actually allows me to watch the Late Show with Stephen uh, Stephen Colbert uh, on my own time and and find those things that I want, I would be totally down with that too. Um, so. Now that I've stopped being snarky and recording this podcast has forced me to look at this, I was wiser in choosing to accept an affiliation with them than I thought because there's actually a lot that I would, uh, I think that I would find very worthwhile. And I'm not saying that just because we have an affiliation and I, you know, love for people to sign up. But uh, sure, I would if you want to support that way. But I'm saying there's legitimately stuff that I would like to have at my fingertips. And, uh, what I would really like is a merging of that and BritBox, so that I can have Doctor Who and Star Trek in one in one stream. Um, we'll see. Uh, the I think the biggest news, truthfully, this week just broke last night, and I I don't know how serious this is, but I consider it very likely uh, that Damon Lindelof, 
who just finished uh, The Leftovers on HBO, uh, and of course is one of the, the minds behind Lost, uh, is in talks to develop Watchmen as a series for HBO. Yeah. Um, I know, that's all, it, that's all you can say. Is, I, uh, yeah, I... Okay. <laughs> if if they get no, here's what I'd say. If they're going to treat it as a one season event, and, twelve episodes, right? Which is what Terry Gilliam wanted, believed it should have been done in the first place when he was in talks with it, and ultimately why he walked away. They wouldn't give him the budget and the time to develop what it should be. If you did that, and this is one of those projects where I know Lindelof is one of the biggest fans of Watchmen in Hollywood. He is quoted on the back of every reprint, and, you know, that is a joke, he gets no kickback for having endorsed it so many times on in print on, uh, on <laughs> editions that DC releases. You know, um, so I know he loves it. The thing is, so did Zack Snyder. But then again, I think there are many things to praise about Zack Snyder's li- live-action film but I do think that that it is a, a property that is best developed in miniseries form. I agree. And once I you've agree. told that Alan Moore story, get out. I and and I would say you know go with a go with a director who's going to you know it sounds I'm repeating myself. We always do. Go with someone who respects the original work. Try and find a visual pacing in a series that would evoke that, and stick with the main story, and don't pretend you're as good as Alan Moore in writing uh, something better. You know, so no, exactly, and yeah. that's what I think that. But there's still room now. You could do something interesting with Tales of the Black Freighter, something like. I think American Gods has has broken through with that, and I I think that anybody uh, it's it's tricky, but I don't know that how many people who produce this kind of stuff get the real Black Freighter connection to the regular story. Here's why I why I'd argue back with you: maybe not executives, maybe not, but creatives. This is like how we were talking about, or I I wrote on on the site about Adam West. Is and I know this. I know this happened to Tim Curry as well. Um, that uh, that the people who grew up being influenced by it are now the people who are making creative decisions. Yeah. So it's the hardest. That's what it's the hardest thing in that in that work to understand and appreciate. It. I mean, it's not it's not a gimme that reading through it you're you're going to get it. So. That's that's where, right, yeah. but it's also you know, and you can also, but you can do creative things, which actually Zack Snyder did by turning uh, the first Night Owls book into, and people didn't see it in the film, but it was on the DVD. Was they had actually done it like a like a a, a, a news piece, like a profile on sixty minutes right. under the hood, right? Thirty minute film showing you know talking, filling in that history. You could do something interesting there, and, I, and I'm saying, you know, I I agree with all of the tentativeness, and yeah, Lind- Lindelof's heart is absolutely in the right place. I've seen people uh, who I believed absolutely were true fans still not quite get there. Get it, yeah, 
you know, I think he does. Um, I blow hot and cold on his work, but I will be honest, I really like the leftovers. So I I, I think that uh, I, I kind of have hope for this um, as long as they stick to what's in there in that original 12 issues and not and not go into the before Watchmen, which I know was done with sincerity by really great creators, but it was it was an expansion we didn't need that right. didn't serve any purpose other than to sell more books, which they right. didn't quite do. And as much as I'm somewhat intrigued by what's going on with DC Rebirth right now, with Doctor talk about nostalgia with uh, you know with Adrian Veidt as Mr. Oz and uh, with Dr. Manhattan wrapping that up, I think it's, let's watch this story. No, no pun intended whatsoever. Um, But I think there's potential. So we'll go there. So jumping back a second, the Star Trek Mm -hmm. discovery and the CBS all access, I did hunt down what it costs. So with the, with the free trial that leads into a, you know, you sign up for the free trial. You, you have to sign up for the service which you can cancel, yeah. but you know it's like anything. They're just hoping you're not going to bother. Um, and that's the free trial is with limited commercials, which means commercials. Uh, yeah. And that's <laughs> that means five ninety nine a month. And but you can go commercial free for nine ninety nine. It includes live TV and and includes commercials and select shows that have promotional interruptions. So commercial free, except where there are commercials. Hulu's doing the same thing. I thought I had paid for commercial free, and I still get it. Yeah. So you know, I, I five ninety nine is not bad. Um, but like with BritBox, I'm resisting until such time as I feel like I've cleared the deck and can really enjoy. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm I'm trying to resist kind of the binge take on things. You know, I'm trying to parse some stuff out, um, but. You know, it's a temptation, and uh, and I think like with Star Trek, especially when you get to the two or three parters that I think Next Generation did. Yeah, right. You know that that you got to have some time set aside for this because it gets exciting. But the so, last the last time we had a Star Trek series of note, um, and I'm the Enterprise was probably in there, but it was still pre DVRs, right? So everyone was watching. I mean, for me, it was mostly Next Generation and Deep Space Nine where you'd watch the show and then you'd be in at work the next day talking about it with people. And that just doesn't happen anymore. Everyone's like watching it on different cycles and stuff. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking maybe just take a pass on all this and just count on buying the collected DV, uh, Blu-ray when they're done and just be done. Well, you know, but there's only going to, yeah, there's only going to be a, yeah, there might be a Blu-ray on discovery. Discovery, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I feel that way. I just, you know, we just finished. We can say, you know, American Gods just finished, and it's. I often say this, but this is one of the first times I think. No, I, I really do mean this. I need. I. I think that I will buy the Blu-ray of of this first season and rewatch it a couple of times because there was so much going on and so much. Uh, you know, I, I just. Thought it was really cool and so much and early cool, stuff but, you um, don't really realize the significance until later and yeah. Well, there's a scene in the second in, in the penultimate episode of season season one that I there's there's a little detail that I think spins things very interestingly that is not actually addressed in the last in the last episode. Yeah, 
but I think that it absolutely ties into a character of the last, you know. So it's just it's that kind of stuff. It's like, yeah, it, it, it's rewarding. I, I was thinking that again. I, I was watching the second, uh, slowly second episode of the Twin Peaks revival and thinking about how I did go back and rewatch all of that original and thinking, you know, as you say, the thing is, who can do that? So much has changed. And I was thinking this about the passing of Adam West because my son sort of half was teasing and half sympathetic. Like, are you okay, Dad? And my brother said the same thing. And I thought, maybe it's the old man talking, but the way kids consume shows now, the way pop culture devours itself... Right. Are you going to have those connections? We're seeing the last... We're seeing the first and the last, basically, of those icons like you know Nicholas Brandt in last week's episode who we you know said like when Mr. when Leonard Nimoy died and I thought yeah it's kind of interesting Nimoy Shat when Shatner goes you know um and we felt it I think somewhat with Carrie Fisher not quite the same way um as beloved as she was but these people that have been in our homes because the reruns were there all the time and right it was the reruns and then you had like eight movies and you had you know you had the fan yeah, circuit too well that's for Nimoy but but i mean for what for adam west batman 66 right, had right. become so iconic in a way that i thought well in my kids lifetime they've already seen two different actors play batman right and you know if my nieces and nephews have seen five Right, you know, <laughs> and that's not even getting into the animated versions. Whereas when we were growing up, it was pretty much Adam West, and that was it. That was our live action Batman for for twenty years. Because um, we keep forgetting he did go back to that role. Let's not forget that he played it in Legends of the Superheroes, um, a really horrible show, but it was him, and that he did the voice in an, in one solo animated series and in Super Friends. He. he took the role over in the in the best of the super friends series the challenge of the super friends so um the one that was tied into superpowers and the action figures so you know it is just kind of interesting uh, in, in our ongoing perhaps by episode 600 we'll have solved what's happening to media um <laughs> but i just i just keep seeing these new angles that are really weird to me about our culture and i you know I, I don't know but but back to the let's go back to hbo and say hey what's the countdown to game of thrones rick and will anybody watch that 25 days derek <laughs> will anybody watch that two years from now oh i think they will i think they will i i was thinking about saying well you know I, I was thinking about things like if you go with damon lindelof is that I know people love and hate what happened with Lost, and he and yeah. he gets a lot of crap and and a lot of praise at the same time, um, and I think like that's a show where it was of its time, like there is no time or reason to go back to Lost now because right. it was so cool, so heavy, so so media the, the media was so obsessed with it, and then. What's the point? Well, you know, the thing about Lost was we were all trying to decode it when it was on, right? We were all trying to figure out the meaning of everything. What's the rabbit mean? What is what is uh, 
why is it a swan you know all you know what's the what's the radio signal what do the numbers mean and what about the tinfoil unicorn oh sorry wrong one and at the end we were told none of it mattered there was there was there was all deus ex lame machina um and and so all that time we and a lot of people the reason why it was such such a um such a very strong feeling of betrayal on a lot of people's points. We had spent a lot of time discussing ramifications, meanings, and and uh, sources and stuff, just to have it just like, well, it was all not a dream, but it was all basically. Well, and I think part of that was its stretch, but I mean, I just think it's interesting. Yeah. You know, I, I, I mentioned that I had, going back and watching Twin Peaks, the the new one. Is I sat sat watching it the second episode, thinking, I totally eat this up. I absolutely love what David Lynch does, but I'm not sure I could sh- show my kids and have them understand why this is really cool. If, you, you know, know, it's not just your kids. I don't think as kids ourselves we would have watched it. I well, th- I mean, I, I watched it when I was think, twenty, but, but I, I think I mean, it, my, my, it took a little maturity. I watched it at twenty three. Yeah. I watched it at 23, right? Yeah. My daughter's 18. Yeah. I don't think, I think just what's moved on and the people that have been influenced by Lynch but gone faster with the pacing, you know, it's very, I don't think there's anybody working like Lynch does. I'm sitting watching saying, watching this thinking, this is a dream. This is also dreamlike. And the way people are speaking to each other is like, it's like you. Well, it reminds me of a racer head in some ways. Yeah, you're watching something. You're watching a horribly uh, dark 1940s film that seeped into somebody's head. That's what it really is. It's a it's it's a it's a noir nightmare. And but at the pacing of a dream. And I I don't know that somebody working that way. I don't know that kid, kids would respond that way. And I once again fascinated to know. Knowing that Showtime subscriptions went up, we're back to the binging, right? But only five hundred thousand people actually watched. You know, the traditional way of tracking the ratings. I'll give you a little hope for the future because I hung out with my niece and her new boyfriend uh, a couple weekends ago. Is it about Twin Peaks or the Brett Schneider's Twin will Peaks? Live on? Twin Peaks. Okay, and just make sure that it's not about genetics. They right, had just. They have both just recently watched the whole of the first series and now we're wrapped in the uh in the new the new uh rebirth new season and um they were totally getting it they were they had uh they had some interesting uh points of view and they had uh done a lot of other lynch uh lost highway and eraserhead and Mm -hmm. um Blue Velvet, and which all have their influences on this season, and and uh, we had some we had some really good deep conversations, and that's what I think I love about Twin Peaks is that you, it's it is uh, it is regardless of what you think it's about or what it is doing, there's no doubt that it is deep with imagery and uh, and interesting characters and dialogue that you can just discuss the hell out of. Mm-hmm. And maybe an entire, you know, in like five months, it seeped into our souls, and we can discuss the hell out of it as a special podcast. There you go. Uh, <laughs> so, anyway, 
I think that brings us to the end. We know that in 25 days you get uh, you get Game of Thrones, and that's what we're looking forward to next. So uh, I should just say that if there's anything we've talked about on this podcast that you think you would like for your very own, and you cannot find it at your local brick-and-mortar store, you can, of course, use the handy-dandy Amazon link uh, to, the, uh, to the right on every page. Uh, or sometimes there are direct links, and uh, we get a small kickback from that. And thank you. And, and you can use it as a search box and find whatever. Uh, you don't have to buy just things that we talked about on the podcast. Uh, I should also mention if you're interested in stuff we didn't talk about, but it's geeky and available on Think Geek. It's one of our affiliates. Uh, they're having a sale right now, so by the time this podcast is posted, I think uh, you may see there's an ad for. And they're calling it Spaceballs the Sale. I'm not sure I get the connection, but they're doing it. Uh, so using the code word PLAD through June 26th, uh, so by the time this is posted, you might have a day or three left. I, I, I'm never sure. I don't want to speak for Rick. He's a busy man. Uh, but they, depending on how much you're ordering, there are there are a sliding scale of discounts there. And let's say we do have a, a little affiliation with them as well. Uh, and, of course, if you'd just like to help defray the cost of hosting the podcast and uh, the website itself, fanboyplanet.com, you can go to PayPal and donate to editor at fanboyplanet.com, as well as if you have any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com. You, I think I've covered all of the the shilling, right? So, uh, yeah, oh, we're shilled out. Uh, we're shilled out. Unless you want to, you know, you're excited for Star Trek Discovery in three months, and uh, we get a small affiliate link on CBS All Access as well. Uh, I'm going to do it. I'm just saying. I just know it's a it's a matter of time, but I'm not doing it right now. I understand. You want to wait till till September, but it's out there. We're here for you. Okay. All right, so I'm uh, I'm Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief of FanboyPlanet.com. And I'm Rick Brett reminding you to use, use your, your powers, powers only for, for good. good. Thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreatlukeski.com. Watching something, you're watching a horribly uh, dark 1940s film that seeped into somebody's head. You know, I, 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 did I lose you? Yep, lost you. Well, I did it that time. I have no idea. Okay, it was so. you. You cut off right off your 1940s dream that seeped into somebody's head. Perfect. <laughs> That's what it really is. It's a it's it's a noir, it's a noir nightmare, and but at the pacing of a dream. And I I don't know that somebody working that way. I'm your chief of fanboyplanet.com, and I'm Rick Brett Snyder reminding you to use your use your powers, powers only for good. Okay, let's do it again. Do you want to do it separately? Yeah, because we uh, we we were off off sync right away. So.
then I forgot. Yeah. So you go first. Use your powers only for good. Use your powers only for good. Okay. Cool. Right. Thanks. Now Thank get, you. I've got 15 minutes till my next meeting. <laughs> All right, man. <laughs> Take it easy. i I got to get to it, too. All right. Talk so, later. Bye-bye. Thank <laughs> you.